shot it's everybody jump starts every generation throws a hero up the pop charts medicine is magical and magical is art become the boy in the bubble and the baby with the battle in the heart and I believe these are days lasers in the jungle lasers in the jungle somewhere staccato signals of Hey everybody, welcome to episode 28 of Reporting as Eligible. Um, I actually had the number in front of me for the first time in 15 episodes. I actually went back and checked. So um, we did, We've kind of avoided talking about um, COVID-19 because it is a little bit depressing, but the season's starting to come up and the NFL is starting to crystallize their plans for this. So um, I, I do think we have to talk about it at least a little bit. Um, so I don't have the usual crew today. Um, Matt and JR both are busy with other things. JR especially, I think, is doing a podcast for his real job simultaneously right now. But uh, um, on to help me, I have um, Ryan, who's Archon14, um, one of my co-writers at Acme Packing Company. And one of the reasons I wanted to have him on is I think we have, we're, we're sort of similar-minded in how we go about looking at um, COVID-19 news. Um, Ryan actually does some like number crunching every day on the status of Wisconsin um, and like pulls some data off of various websites to do that. Um, and it has been very helpful. I've been trying to have a Twitter thread of positive things you can do about the disease, um, links to clinical trials you can participate in, um, news about uh, treatments that have started to work, showed promise, um, ways to donate plasma, things like that. So um, we're, we're sort of similar minded about that. So thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Sure. So um, I guess I wanted to start by we've both seen what football's plans are, and um, they have a lot of sports to draw from. Basketball and hockey are playing in a, a secluded bubble. It seems to be working pretty well. Baseball is playing with basically instructions to their players to be careful <laughs> and, and no other protections, really. <laughs> and they've had a lot of problems. It looks like football is sort of leaning that way towards the baseball style of plan. Um, I guess for, just first impressions. What do you what do you think of their plan so far, from what you know of it? And do you think there's anything that distinguishes football from baseball that may actually have this work? So football's plan is definitely not as foolproof as either hockey's or basketball's or MLS's back tournament, where they're very much focused on creating a bubble type environment, and especially the NBA's. Because I'm just less familiar with the NHLs, but the NBA's has worked extremely well. They've had, you know, no outbreaks, no positive cases within the bubble, um, which is obviously what you're looking for. Now, now baseballs we know has been, I wouldn't quite go as far as unmitigated disaster yet, <laughs> but um, there's, you know, outbreaks can happen very quickly. They're playing every single day. Um, football does have some benefits compared to baseball. You know, they they're not playing a team every single day. Um, so you have a kind of a break in time. Um, another advantage that football actually has baked in is the punishment that they can actually deal to players who act in reckless ways is probably the only real thing in the plan that really sets it apart from baseball. If a baseball player does something stupid, there's pretty much like nothing that can really happen to them financially. Whereas with football players, um, you know, if they find out, you know, they do tracing and they find out this player, you know, went out to a bar when obviously that's probably the single worst place that you could be going. <laughs> yes, indeed. Is a bar or club. And um, so like a football team through their contact tracing or their interviewing kind of finds out that this is what happened. Um, they can actually designate the player. Um, I forget the specific verbiage, but it's essentially similar to conduct detrimental, right. um, where they can push the base salary down to zero. There can be fines and suspensions. Um, because really what's going to keep make any of these things work if you're in a non-bubble environment is making the incentives align in a way, and the or the disincentives in this case align in a way that the players would be it would be financially suicidal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether or not a team would actually implement that type of, you know, financial punishment on a player for doing something stupid, or if they could even find out if a player was actually doing that, because the thing that we know about, you know, young men is they're oftentimes doing dumb things. And then they often lie about doing those dumb things that they do um, if there are any, con if there are any consequences involved. And so. You know, I wouldn't expect that to be possible, but that's really the only thing that's separating the NFL from Major League Baseball in a meaningful way. I mean, there are differences in their plans, but in terms of how, you know, the meaningful differences, that's pretty much the only one that's there. And it's a helpful stick 
for the league to have, but it still relies on a lot of things that I'm not sure you can rely on a league that is mostly in their early to mid twenties to, to follow through on. Yeah. I'd agree with all of that. They do have a, the, the, the baseball union um, has been it, it, kind of its own thing. It, the, the, the sort of relationship with the owners there was a big problem in just getting safety protocols negotiated with so much focus on, focus on financials and at least football can do that. And also football is probably more likely to enact those punishments on some of the players that are more likely to stray like it's it's pretty unlikely that Aaron Rodgers is going to go off and do something um if he got caught doing anything like that he would probably suffer no punishment as being one of the faces of the league that's a tricky place to be but if you've got a third stringer who jeopardizes his whole team that guy's gonna that guy's gonna feel it Um, on the other hand those players are sometimes not the quickest to realize the incentives hanging over them especially if they're just out of college um you know haven't really had a real job per se yet um when sometimes you don't understand punishment until you get hit with it the first time so um (laughs) but i agree with you i I do think the one thing they have going for them the big thing is time between games um baseball really ran into that problem pretty severely with a bunch of teams missing significant portions of the season and probably unable to make it up on the back end there's just not enough time football at least has time to react um and that's the biggest advantage they've had from the beginning, being the last sport to play. Um, they've had the most time to plan for this to see other um, teams as well. I guess that's my biggest surprise here. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of people propose things like division bubbles, um, co- division bubbles split with conference bubbles. Uh, and with football being not impacted by the weather as much, um, it, it seems just like an easier thing to do, too. Uh, I mean, the baseball issue is going to be hard because they the spring training games are in places that are super hot in the summer, and uh, which is going to be very tough to make happen. You can kind of play football anywhere. Weather doesn't really. I mean, you wouldn't want to have a bubble in Lambeau in February, but you could certainly have you know one in San Diego, one in um, Indianapolis, and and spread. And out you the could country. still have one in Lambeau in February. It's unpleasant, you, you could. but like playoff games yeah. do get played in Green Bay in the middle of winter. Right. You, you might not want to to be mean, but you certainly could do it. Um, <laughs> you know, games aren't going to get canceled, so. Um, are, are you surprised at all that just that that didn't gain any more traction, especially once the NBA started having success with it? Yeah, so the the thing with Major League Baseball that made it impossible is, one, just the weather. Um, you know, those spring training sites. I mean, we've even seen it with the MLS's back tournament, which is in Orlando. They've basically had to play games at 9 a.m. Eastern and basically 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock Eastern p.m. and then the first one being a.m. So they've completely avoided the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, baseball, because the length of games are longer, soccer games are only two hours, baseball's a little bit longer, you know, that's harder to do. Um, as far as with football, you know, I personally, I like the division bubble idea. I think it's probably the, the best idea that you can do. The biggest problem with like an NBA style bubble with the NFL is there's just too many people. Um, you know, the NBA bubble in Orlando works because you've got, you know, they brought 22 teams, you know, you've got um 15 to 16 guys on a roster you've got a relatively small coaching staff you don't need a a large training staff with just that many players um so and the thing is is they even with this they were still only able to accomplish this by going to probably you know like basically a city in and of itself um with disney and and i think it's lake buena vista florida which is essentially its own disney town and so with the NFL, if you've got 32 teams, you're going to have, you know, forget just the 53, you're going to have, you know, 65 guys, 70 yep. guys when you factor in the practice squads. You have large, co- very large coaching staffs. You're going to need a significant higher number of medical personnel. And whereas with the NBA, where while the season will not conclude until the middle of October with the finals, basically half the people that are in the bubble will be home by the end of August also, at the end of the first true. round of the playoffs. Yeah, they get to reduce it even further and make it even easier on themselves to control it. That's a good point, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so with football, like, the only way I could see the bubble idea working is that division bubble idea. And, and even that is pretty hard to implement because the Orlando situation is ve- or the, the, the Disney situation is very unique. It is completely separated. You can get from hotel directly to the field you never really have to come in contact with anyone you know kind of from the outside 
if let's say you want like for the NFC North, let's say they wanted to avoid weather problems and they wanted to just do it in, in Minneapolis, for example, there, there's no setup in Minneapolis. That's like Disney. You're going to come in contact at some point with people who are kind of outside of the bubble. You know, the NBA has been very fortunate where they've been able to keep contact with those who are actually working at Disney, who are not subject to the same protocol, essentially completely apart from um, the teams themselves. I think it's really difficult to do that in the NFL. Yeah. In those bubbles, because the cities that you're going to aren't set up like Disney. Disney is like basically the only thing on the planet that really works like this. That's a good, that is also very true. Um, even uh, they just happen to be this their own secluded city that happens to have space for arenas. That's the other big thing the NBA has going for them. You can throw up a basketball court kind of anywhere. Football takes up a lot of real estate, as does baseball, and you can't just um, take over an empty space, pop up a field, and have the logistics to house and feed um, several entire football teams. So um, that said, that, that size works against them as well. Um, I, I wrote a piece on Acme Packing Company today just detailing what I would do here, and I think the biggest thing they face is by having so many people on the team that has to interact, there's, there are just odds of somebody defying the rules um, goes way up. Uh, it's hard to. It's easy to control 13 basketball players plus a few coaches. It's much harder to control, you know, uh, a 53-man football roster plus practice squad people plus coaches. Um, and if one person strays, they can infect a whole bunch of people as soon as they come back in. So while the bubble, I agree, is way way harder to do, I still think even doing a quasi bubble would at least help keep tabs on that problem because, as it stands, the odds of somebody doing that are just very very high. Um, so yeah, the, the biggest issue is with essentially what are glorified suggestions for what players should do. It's going to require players to police themselves really and hold each other accountable, which is something that locker rooms always talk about being, you know, of the utmost importance and, you know, well-functioning teams are able to do that. Well, if you look around the NFL, there's a lot of teams that don't function (laughs) very well, have leadership voids. And a big problem is I'm really concerned with the NFL from the perspective of leadership from the top. Yeah. One thing you see in the NBA is the coaches have been um, very focused on having players follow protocols, acknowledging the, the seriousness of the situation, the seriousness of the disease. Football, just because of its weird distorted culture that it has, there, there publicly there have been coaches, not just in the NFL, but especially you see in college football, of dismissing you know the the issues you know there was an article today um i believe um with yahoo from i think charles robinson um i saw it on his timeline so he might have he might have written it discussing you know just from anonymous sources throughout the league that you know they could call in 10 um you know covid protocol violations on their head coach they've been in camp for just a few days yeah it's it's one of those weird things. Football just has its own kind of different political leaning, its own weird culture, its own, um, you know, it, it, it's a sport where people get hurt by the nature of the sport, and that draws a certain type of person to it. Um, I know that you probably saw the quotes today from Jack Del Rio, um, who is a, a COVID skeptic, frankly, and, you know, one of those people that's just searching for answers outside the mainstream on these this, and I'm sure you know, Jack Del Rio has always been vocal and from makes a bit of an ass of himself every once in a while the football outsiders award for bad coaching was named after him for a while for when he brought a piece of wood into his locker room and his punter chopped his leg off on accident um but uh i'm sure there's a lot of guys with more sense about keeping their mouths shut that feel very similar to him and you cannot count on leadership around this pandemic being consistently enforced it's just not going to happen so um i'm very pessimistic that the season's going to finish up i think that they'll have a ton of problems if they proceed as scheduled and even if they do push through i think it'll be because they literally push through and um you know do what football always does when about major injuries um you know acknowledge that they happen and get somebody else up and kind of move on and and go through unless something super serious happens like a death which also completely possible in this sport um (laughs) so um the, the one other thing i wrote about today which is my preferred idea is the, vac- the the vaccine um, cure for COVID is not going to happen imminently. Uh, I, I know we both follow that pretty quickly, um, but there are a lot of them in third stage trials. And 
Um, well, there will it will be a long time just because production of vaccines takes a long time. We will probably have um, the results on quite a few of those somewhat soon. Um, just if I was putting money on, by the way, none of us are doctors. We're just reading what we see in the news, and we might be told totally we're just wrong. idiots with we're an just, internet. We're connection. just idiots with an internet connection. So it's entirely possible that none of these vaccine candidates will work out, and we'll be stuck here for a long time. But a lot of them look promising. So. We'll probably know if some of them look very, very promising pretty soon. I would say probably around October. Um, yeah, the same thing I've seen has been um, from pharmaceutical analysts have said their expectations are we should know on the ones that are have started trials, which are Oxford, AstraZeneca, yep. and then the Pfizer one. Um, before Halloween, we should have data. Now, that does not mean, and I want to emphasize yes, this heavily to yes, listeners, that does very, not very mean much. you will be able to get a vaccine for COVID in like, you know, on election night yeah, or you, something you like will that. not um so yeah <laughs> we do want to emphasize that that just means we'll un- we'll have good information about whether it was safe and whether it worked um after that happens there is a lengthy process of actually making these things at scale at, in high amounts so um now that said the nfl has a lot of weight it can throw around it, it's uh it, it's very politically active and uh, one thing i when I do a baseball podcast too. You guys know that the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast. When when I was discussing this about baseball way back in the day, when this pandemic was getting started, um, tests were in short supply. One thing I proposed baseball should do on that podcast was get involved in the testing process because you need tests to make this work. Donate a bunch of money, um, help companies get tests out there, and ask for a bunch back in return so that you don't take them out of the public system, you add to the public system, but you can still run your business. If I were the NFL, I would be all over that from a vaccine point of view, because if you can if you can get early vaccine access, you can play as safe as possible. Um, I mean, obviously things can go wrong. There could be side effects. This is all very experimental. We've never built a vaccine this fast before. But what I w- my proposal was the NFL, go find the, the few that are the most promising. Say, we'll give you a bunch of money. You can use it to ramp up production for the general public. All we ask in return is, you know, a few hundred to get our players going. We'll give you back thousands in return. Um, I think it's a, it's a kind of creative, maybe it's illegal, I don't know, but it's a kind of creative solution that I think could pay huge dividends, be good PR if you can promote the fact that you're putting stuff back into the system instead of taking it out. That's the big risk. You don't want to be the person who's stealing vaccines from doctors and nurses, like certainly not. But uh, if you can do that, you can have, you know, have your cake and eat it too here. So, um, and just any thoughts on waiting for the vaccine generally or... Um, or anything along those lines so as far as like how a vaccine is going to impact the football season basically the route that you described is the only way i can realistically see a football player getting a vaccine by the time the normal nfl schedule has concluded um now by playoff time january february it's possible But like just your standard regular season, it seems like a stretch. Now, one thing to note is that, um, and this has been talked about a lot, and there's been a lot of misconceptions about what making a vaccine at risk actually means. Um, It gets people really scared about like, are they compromising safety? And what actually happens with at risk is basically, in in this case, um, it's typically governments or or. Um, non-governmental organizations, you know, like uh, like charities, Gates Foundation, for example, yep. are taking the financial risk that the vaccine or the therapeutic does not work. And the worst thing that they're out at the end of the day is just uh, a shit ton of money. Um, they're not compromising safety steps there. So it's possible, you know, vaccine production for the vaccines that are in their third trials is occurring as we're talking right mm-hmm. now. Yep. And so that means that, you know, in, in a, t- a typical sense, you know, the plan is, is for hundreds of millions of vaccines to be available, you know, within, you know, once the vaccine is approved and, you know, we find that it works, et cetera, et cetera, within the first handful of months. And that would actually go even faster if multiple candidates work, because that's yeah. really what we want to hope for. It's not just one, but like two or three of these end up working because the more that work, the more production you can have because they've set up production systems specifically for those types of vaccines. Um, as far as, you know, getting players vaccinated in season, basically your option is really the only one I see feasible unless we get some miracle from the supply chain. Um, 
which, you know, the, the supply chains are actually, you know, supply chains in themselves are actually miracles. You know, it's actually amazing <laughs> how quickly and how effectively, efficiently and cheaply we're able to make so many different things. Um, but very few supply processes are as complicated as, as vaccines. Yes. And even with, you know, all of the effort and all of the dollars that are put in, um, you know, you can't just like open a warehouse and put together a production line for vaccines. These things take time to construct. And so um, not just for the general public, but, you know, for your football players, especially, yeah. you know, because they're, you know, in terms of the population to receive them, they're going to be near the end of the line because they're not, you know, they're not frontline personnel. Yeah. They're not old. You know, they're very rarely do they have some type of immunocompromisation. I think I just butchered the English language. That's fine. But you it know, a couple a players a have a couple players. You know, they might have asthma. You'll have a couple of diabetics, but very rarely do you have someone who's playing in the NFL that has like a significant heart problem. Yeah, you know, it's it's the nature of being an elite athlete. You typically don't have those. Yeah, and to be clear, um, my proposal would still involve delaying the season without question. Mm -hmm. uh, and nothing's going to be ready by the normal kickoff of the NFL. Not even close. Um, you know, even in the most optimistic scenario where you get to move to the front of the line by whatever shenanigans you pull off. The earliest that's possibly going to happen is, I would say, like early November, and that's if a lot goes right. So um, I, I still think it might be worth it to do that delay, push the Super Bowl into spring, um, and, and get that full season in. Um, the, you have a lot of flexibility if you're the NFL. There's not a lot of other things to compete against right now. Basketball's all messed up. And, and you are it, too. Like The NFL doesn't worry about competitors. The yeah, NFL it. is the yeah. league. And they're not even going to have college football, so that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that looks unlikely. <laughs> by the by, the way things are going. Um, uh, by the way, that's a whole other topic. But college, um, the NCAA has not played a good hand of poker here because they may end up um, with a revolution smashed in their face based on what they're trying to do here. If anything is going to get players to organize, it's being forced to try and play through a pandemic when things aren't even open college wise. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. The NFL is not going to do any of our ideas. They're going to they're going to push forward here and just try and power through. Um, opt outs, I think, are due on Thursday this week. Um, I, I, I believe that's correct. I, I think that's right. I'm actually surprised there haven't been more. Um, there's ha there have not been a ton of high profile ones. There've been a, been a couple, but uh, the only Packer to opt out so far is Devin Funchess, um, who has never even played for the team, um, and just cost them some wide receiver depth, really. Uh, do you think there's any other Packers who may opt out? Uh, I, I think we were kind of both thinking Devontae might, but after his interview that he gave yesterday, I think we're both convinced he's not going to. If he, if he was going to, he would have probably mentioned something along those lines. Yeah, the culture of football is uh, definitely at play here. So you'll see in, in, in other sports, and even in baseball, something where the culture isn't quite as intense in terms of, you know, you play through pain, you you fight through whatever, you know, um, you know, negative thing that happens and you overcome it. It's not as prevalent in baseball, even though it's highly prevalent there as it is in football. So, yeah. you know, football is the ultimate team sport. So, and also these players' careers are very short. And so if they miss out on a season, they don't get an, if, so basically if you are pre free agency, if you haven't hit unrestricted free agency yet, you really can't afford nope. to opt out unless you're expecting to get cut. If you're expecting to get cut, it's great to opt out because you bank. I think it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, like your yep, your that's right payment and or whatever. And the, technic, the and vast technically, it's supposed to be like a loan yeah. or an advance. It's an, but good luck getting money back from someone <laughs> who you cut. Like they're not going to give you the money back. So right, like Danny Vitale um, opted out. You know, and unless, that's, that's why he did it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yep, because he was going to probably you know he was on the bubble. You know, might as well just bank the hundred and fifty thousand, and you know, you get this you know time to work out. And you know, he's a fullback, so he can come into a training camp next year, find a team that doesn't have a fullback, maybe get a job. Right. But for those players who are pre-free agency, they can't they can't opt out. Basically, they need to stack the accrued seasons because you need to get to unrestricted free agency as soon as possible. Yep. And you are just at so much risk. If, if I mean, if you're like a big first round draft pick. That's one thing. You still want to hit free agency, but at least you've been paid. If you're just a guy, a late round pick or an, a UDFA, you can't afford to opt out right now. You, you just can't. It, there's a good chance you'll never play again, and this is your job. So um, yeah. non-guaranteed contracts really hit guys hard in this scenario. 
Um, it, mm-hmm. I'm sure some people will weigh their health above money and all else, but uh, and frankly, a lot of people would make the same decision. And uh, as, as a result, yeah, of and, that, and honestly, like with the and I'm not and I'm, I want to heavily emphasize here, bad things can happen with COVID to very healthy people, but and there's a but here with most young, really healthy people, which most athletes are they're going to view it from the perspective that it's unlikely that something bad happens to me. And even if they do get sick where they, you know, like someone like Von Miller, who he talked about today, yep. even a couple, like, you know, three to four weeks after he um, kind of fully recovered, you know, he recovered and tested negative. He was still suffering and training a little bit. And it was only about a month after where he really felt like he was back to normal. And it's important to note Von has a history of asthma as well, but a lot of these players are going to see that and they're going to go, well, if I can still get my full paycheck, I can get an accrued season and it looks like I'm just risking, you know, you know, maybe it's, to them, they might view it as like, okay, it's pretty similar to if I got a pretty bad hamstring pull, which is the wrong, probably the wrong way to view COVID. <laughs> but a lot of them are going to view it that way yeah. because that's the paradigm. And that's kind of how their entire worldview is going to be structured through that. And as you know, if your career is short and for a lot of these guys, this is how they're going to make money. You know, they play in the league, they get, they, you know, play a handful of years, you know, three to five years. They play that they make you know good money even you know even league minimum compared to you know your average person is great money. Yep, indeed. And then, you know, they kind of live off of that and off of their football career in a lot of cases for the rest of their working life. And so you know, for someone to risk that because the NFL has had no problem blackballing people for all sorts of different reasons. Certainly not. And you're telling me that <laughs> foot you know quote unquote football guys aren't going to look down at guys who opted out. Um, you know, for their, for their health thing, these guys, you know, if you're, uh, let's say you even hit, you know, there's like, there's a good chance Devin Funches never plays a snap in the NFL. Yeah, that's a a very good point. I'd probably wager against it. it. He's not valuable enough to overcome, um, you know, any prejudice that develops as a result of deciding to opt out here. He's just, he's just not, I mean, we've seen much better players be blackballed for much less significant reasons. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened. Uh, I, I would say the, the one wild card here that I could see upsetting things a little bit is that there there is some research that suggests that there are long-term cardiovascular effects um, that we just haven't detected on mass yet, um, partially because um, it, it hasn't been a priority. Um, it, we always thought this was a, not always, but a primarily respiratory illness. It's a weird disease. They've been studying the effects of it. But if it has long-term effects, we're not going to know for a while. And um, there, there have been at least a few um, instances of th- that impacting athletes. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, a Red Sox pitcher, um, is actually out for the season because of some complications with his heart uh, after being infected. So um, as more news on that starts to, I mean, hopefully it's rare. Hopefully that's, you know, the exception, not the rule. But if we do get more information about long-term effects, I could also see a, a massive second wave or a breakdown in sports generally starting to pop up. Ah. Yep. So anyway, that's probably enough COVID talk. Um, <laughs> we, we, do have, we do have actual football to talk about too. Um, there will theoretically be a season starting <laughs> theoretically somewhat soon. Um, so um, I think we, we let's kick it off with uh, a question we got. Um, and by the way, Ryan and I are also, I think, pretty similar in how we view um, the development of the team generally, value of receivers, value of um, Rogers, value. <laughs> but uh, so um, let, let's start with the, the value uh, of terrible right side of the offensive line. She, like we'll get to that because that's fun. But uh, um, let, let's let's start with um, a question we got from Enrico Palazzo. Uh, hey, Hyatt, how you doing? Um, can you explain the logic behind the reliance on the unproven receiving core and Jay Sternberger? Because the best I got, Goody's drunk. So. Um, I think we can do that because uh, we've both, I think, had some focus on how the Packers are trying to be more structurally similar to the 49ers, um, how Matt LaFleur's chief influence is um, Kyle Shanahan much more than Sean McVay. And I think the short answer to this is that they're while they'll still play in 11 personnel, that's three receivers. I think everybody who listens knows that by now. Um, they'll still play in that a fair amount. They're going to play a lot of heavy sets. And so they don't need as many receivers as they usually do. Well, Devontae takes spot one. And after that, you can kind of cycle guys through and still get decent production. Um, there is the issue of having a lot of unproven guys in the heavy roles. So... Um, 
I, I don't. What do you think of first of all, Jace Sternberger as a big part of the offense going forward? Because he probably will be. I'm not sure why we pretend that Green Bay's tight ends are good. <laughs> uh, I like, do. And would do with Jace. Like he's he's fine. Like out of college, you know, basically a a, a perfectly fine tight end prospect you know he's not he's not it was not special but completely fine you know there was nothing really wrong um you know with the pick at the time i didn't have any problem with it It was fine you know third round tight end fine um mercedes lewis is a glorified offensive lineman he is i don't know why we pretend that he's productive as a receiver and really anyway he catches everything he also moves like he's 40 yeah he's a gimmick Um, player he he'll robert he'll get open for you on a gimmick play and he'll catch it and he'll get you know until he gets caught he'll get those yards but that's as much as he's gonna do yeah bob tanyan is someone who we've liked to would like to see more of because he's extremely athletic you know he's he's easily the best athlete at the tight end position by by Mm -hmm. leaps and bounds um but he was a converted receiver you know if you want to you know um lafleur and the entire shanahan tree like inline tight ends you know you have to be able to at least block competently um and so tanyan being a converted from wide receiver you know not he's definitely not mercedes lewis as a blocker um, and he's also had injury problems. I think that's been the biggest the biggest thing, especially last year, is he was just injured for a good chunk of the season. Um, but, you know, he's fun, and he's really great in video games because he's super athletic, but he's, you know, <laughs> not... He has been completely unproductive as an NFL player, you know? And then Josiah... Uh, I think it's Deguara. Deguara I think that's yeah. how you pronounce it. Um, he's basically a fullback or an H-back. Um, depending on, you know, so the Packers will probably play a lot of 12 or 21 personnel, depending on how you classify him, because I think he's going to play quite a bit. Yep. Um, you don't typically put that kind of draft capital on someone who's, you know, whether you call him an H-back or a fullback's, you know, irrelevant. But at that particular position, if you're not going to use him a decent amount. And so the Packers receiving hopes, I think part of it is, you know, part of what I think the the conceptual plan is, you know, if you want to make the case for why this is going to work. Dropping Aaron back in 11 personnel and having him throw to the sidelines is a relatively inefficient way to run an offense right now. Have putting Aaron under center in whether you want to call it 21, 12, any type of heavy personnel, hell, 22, 22 personnel yeah. with just one wide receiver. Um getting him under center, utilizing the play action game more, trying to get a higher level of efficiency out of Aaron from the play action game, targeting the middle of the field more, which as I wrote about a couple months ago, Aaron has a major phobia of doing. So he's basically just like not shoot. It's like the NBA equivalent of just not shooting three points. Exactly. Like you're not doing the thing. That's a good that comparison help for it too. Yeah. Just so everybody knows we're going to, this will, this will be a recurring theme on reporting as eligible this year, which is, Passes to the middle of the field are better than passes everywhere else, and the Packers don't do it. Aaron's taken—he's taken a bunch of long twos. He's—he uh, <laughs> has not embraced the launch angle revolution, whatever other analogy you want to use. He's—he's he's doing it the hard way. So I think the way you can kind of conceptualize this is, as although Green Bay is used to going, you know, three or four wide, I and mean, you really four or five deep at wide receiver, we think of you know great Packers offenses. That's how we can um, conceptualize them. Um, that was perfectly fine when Rodgers was, you know, absolutely cooking. We talk about peak Aaron Rodgers. That works just fine because it really, frankly, with that wide receiver talent and that quarterback talent, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Yep. It's going to work. Well, now Rodgers has declined pretty significantly. The receiver talent around him has completely disappeared aside from Devontae Adams and, you know, perhaps Alan Lazard. You know, I know we're both big fans of him, but we we're are, still but... talking about essentially a half a season's worth of data there. And really, frankly, nothing else. Yeah, it's bad outside of that. Um, and so conceptually, the plan is to, instead of you know using talent to really increase the level of efficiency, if you can utilize things schematically with more play action, more middle of the field targets, and passing out of heavier personnel is more efficient than just sitting back in 11, the defense knows you're passing, in the gun, because you're able to use deception, you're able to get linebackers onto the more linebackers onto the field, fewer defensive backs, yep. which is going to make it more efficient because they're worse at covering. So basically, I think what Green Bay is trying to do, and I actually think this is a good idea. I wasn't a big fan of the way they've gone about implementing it. You know, the specific selections they made were not, I was not a fan of, but conceptually, you know, I like the idea of creating more easy plays for the quarterback. 
getting the ball to guys in in mismatches because typically with most tight ends getting them on linebackers is going to be a mismatch with a, how athletic most tight ends are Mercedes Lewis is not that guy but if if <laughs> if Sternberger and let's say whether it be Tanyan or Deguara become you know useful receivers getting them matched up on t- on linebackers is going to be useful yeah if they can use Devontae Adams in more productive ways if Alan Lazard's um, efficiency maintains on higher volumes you have a perfectly useful receiving core and if you can get five percent better out of Aaron Rodgers That's, you've solved your good. problem yep pretty much entirely you know yep. you're he's not he because Aaron Rodgers he's not going to be elite anymore you know it just is what it is he's not that guy but if you can take him from the you know basically the 10th best quarterback which is about what he was last year to the fifth or sixth which is not a you know a huge leap if you can just scheme essentially scheme that up for him and just make his life easier it doesn't really matter if aaron's better or not at the end of the day the production and the yep. efficiency is really the only that's thing that exactly matters right um I, I wrote about this the other day too and just just to, to communicate what the goals of this are of going heavy um the team that faced base defense the most last year was the 49ers um and we're very good against it, it I, if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is good, you really shouldn't. But despite the fact that he isn't good, he's not. They had the eighth best passing game in the league last year. Considering that they also don't have very good receivers on the 49ers, they have good tight. They have Kittle. Uh, they have Kyle Uzcheck, who's their fullback, H-back, who was the best receiving back in football last year. But again, they they don't really have a good receiver. It's Debo Samuel, who's kind of a weird receiver, and kind of a bunch of guys. Um, the second the team that faced base defense is the second most last year was actually the Vikings. And if you are wondering why Kirk Cousins, who you probably don't, not you, Ryan, but you person listening, <laughs> don't think is very good. One of the reasons he's good is that um, they, they run, the I think, the most play action. Um, I believe the Vikings do vote most or second most. And he gets to face a base defense on most plays. It's just not that hard for a competent quarterback to pick those apart if you can force him into it. So that's what the Packers are trying to set up. I'm not sure they'll be able to do it. Um, it, Your your point is well taken. I mean, my big thing with Robert Tanyan is he was unable to get snaps or beat out Jimmy Graham for the last few years, which for an athletic tight end who can't block, I mean, you you couldn't beat out the unathletic tight end who can't block. So I I will say this, uh, NFL coaches, not necessarily the greatest at talent evaluation. Also true. Very um, good point. And and Jimmy Graham, you know, the things that impact this, you know, he made he had a big salary, a lot of money. But you know, he checks all the boxes for just like this guy's the starter, this guy's getting touches. But that also doesn't mean I think that Bob Tanyan's gonna like have this breakout season where he has like sixty targets, you know, forty catches for five hundred and fifty yards. Like that's seems highly improbable yeah. given what we've seen. Now, if you do want to um, see Tanya in, uh, in an optimistic way, he is a pretty fair blocker. Um, he's really the only tight end on the team who's any good at both of the tight end jobs. Everybody else is good at one or the other or none. Um, and at least at least there's that. So he actually does play in the heavy set deception pretty well because you do have to respect him as a blocker. He's not he's not the greatest. He's not going to be Kittle out there, but he, he's he's competent. He's okay. Um, and so Sternberger he, might be good at both. We he, don't know. He that might yet. be. He might be. You know, he has a, he has some decent blocking tape. But again, we're talking. He missed basically the whole season. We did, have like four games. Of I, I meant tape, to say not even that many snaps within did, those four games. Did I say Tanya? Because I meant to say Sternberger. Tanya's garbage blocker. You said Tanya. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just to, okay. Just to clarify, <laughs> Tanya is a garbage blocker, and he will never be good at it. So, um, <laughs> I meant to say Sternberger, who I think will be, I, I think is good at at least blocking and maybe good as a receiver. But he he at least shows promise in both aspects. So there's that. Deguara, I watched tape on the other day. I don't know what to make of him at all. He's, uh, <laughs> I will say this. I thing. mean, he's going to be playing a different position yeah. in the NFL than he played in college. In college, he played like a lot of college tight ends do, you know, moving around quite a bit. In the NFL, I don't expect him to get a lot of slot snaps. Agreed. Um, it'll be a lot of, you know, he'll be not the on the line tight end, but he'll be kind of the wing tight end playing fullback. Yeah. Um, a decent amount so it's it's tough with that because you're basically talking about he'll be playing a different position and i think actually in a much easier position to play um you know so there's upside there you know if he i don't think he'll be um kyle scrabble but i think he'll be <laughs> he'll be you know if he can be 75 percent of that that's a lot better than what you get out yep. of the most fullback or tight end twos yeah they definitely have a type there now which is guys who have okay ras scores for tight end and who shoot up two points when you move them to fullback um 
that yep. that they've just been ac- accumulating those guys with reckless abandon for the last few years. Danny Vitale was that too. He just can't run a route or block. So, um, all right. So let's let's quickly talk. I, I think we 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 are obligated to discuss our our pet theory on Aaron Rodgers because. <laughs> we, we, so just so everybody knows, this, this started out as a kind of a joke. Um, it, we've all seen Aaron Rodgers with injured legs many times. Uh, the injured calf, uh, second half of the Bears game after he got knocked out in the first half, and he always seems to play better, right? So um, I looked into that a little bit more, and it, it it's kind of true. Um, so when Aaron Rodgers has been hurt, had an injured calf or whatnot, he's not always overall more productive in terms of like Anya or anything like that, but his completion percentage always goes way up. Um, it, it's a big outlier you can see instantly. And then there's been uh, some more information released on how Aaron Rodgers is when he has time versus when he doesn't have time. And when Aaron Rodgers has time, uh, his stats are upside down. He gets worse um, by EPA, by CPOA. The more time he has after a certain amount, he actually gets less efficient. So we have this theory that um, it's bad that he has a good offensive line and that he may be better this year because two of the starting linemen this year are probably going to be Billy Turner and Rick Wagner, um, quite possibly, neither of which is particularly good. And uh, I- I'm actually a kind of bullish on Rodgers because it, he has shown if he has less time to throw and gets the ball out quicker, he is much more efficient. Um, <laughs> it's cr- It's crazy. It sounds stupid, but there's a lot of statistics to back it up. <laughs> Yes, I want it to be known that despite how ridiculous this theory sounds, yeah. I fully believe that a scared Aaron Rodgers is a better Aaron Rodgers. I completely agree. And uh, just if you see how he plays when he does like by himself time, it usually doesn't result in a big bomb. It usually results in him throwing short to a guy coming back to the sticks or throw away. Or finding the or, second row. Yeah, Finding the second so finding, row. He's not accurate when he does that. Oh, or taking a sack, he doesn't use time that he buys very efficiently. Um, when he gets the ball out quickly, he first of all, it forces him to use the middle of the field against his will more often, which is good. Uh, it forces him to hit guys in stride, like actually just play in sequence. So uh, like, it, like I said, it, I agree with you. It sounds like a stupid theory, but there's a lot of reasons to think it's true, and I'm almost sure that it is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do kind of worry that it might not stay true very long, especially because he's kind of frail. Um, he does get hurt when he takes hits, and if one of those guys lets people through unmolested, he might break his collarbone again. But uh, so this this is a pet. We'll be watching this. I'm going to start tracking this year um, if there's football. Um, his, his, and if I can figure out how to use R properly, his time to throw on a per game basis. Yeah, and, that's a problem that all of us have. <laughs> figuring done, out how to use R properly. I've done it a few times. So um, Baldwin's new like fast scraper seems pretty easy. So just if you want to futz around with it, it seems pretty intuitive. Um, but I'm tracking it because I, I want to actually prove this conclusively. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to be rooting so hard for him to get rushed. It's kind of, yeah, just just nothing bad, you know, just a little a little calf pull. One of the problems with the with the the division is that um, outside of the Bears, there's none of the other two has a very good pass rush. Um, kind Neil of Neil Hunter would disagree with you. Yeah, he's fine. Everson's gone. He's elite. Yeah, he's elite. <laughs> but the rest of the rest of that the rest of that line is garbage. Is so you can double great. him every time. Yeah. And and they will. So, but oh well. yes. So anyway, just so everybody knows, <laughs> alas, our quarterback won't get smacked. Yeah, Aaron will have yeah too much time in the division because the rest of the division is garbage. But um, ho- hopefully there'll be some pressure there. All right, shall shall we move on to some questions and wrap sure. this puppy up? I'm getting getting long. Um, let's see. Um, okay, well I think we could skip the percentage chance Adam Adams um, opts out. So Rex. It was a good question yeah. 24 hours ago. Um, just so everybody knows, Devontae Adams um, did a an interview. Was that today? Uh, time has no meaning anymore. So was, I think it was. I know. I think it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Okay. Um, and maybe it was today. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. It, he seemed like he's pretty intent on time playing. is broken. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, Devontae Adams um, would potentially benefit quite a bit from opting out uh, financially. Um, it's a little risky if the season gets canceled midway for him, but he seems dead set on playing. So, um, un- not unfortunately, it's good that they have Devontae, but well, it, it, theoretically, he's it's good probably to- trying to make sure he earns that next contract because yeah. that the third contract is coming up soon. Indeed. So. 
Um, so there is that. Um, so he's going to play. I would say 100% he plays. I don't see any scenario where he opts out at this point. Um, let's see. Um, so we already have the... Uh, what about... Uh, that's actually a good... Um, of the people who might opt out, what do you think about Mason? Because um, he's probably close to retiring. And... Um, yeah. I could maybe see that one. I would say like 5%. I, I just don't think anybody else is going to Yeah, I mean, it just seems... Yeah, I mean, I just don't think... I think I think the general public significantly overrates the level at which athletes are going to choose to not play the sport that yep. they really enjoy playing and are compensated quite handsomely for doing so. Um, you know, especially in football where, you know, money is not necessarily guaranteed. The opt-outs are significantly less financially... Um, you know, promising yeah. than baseballs are. So, you know, especially with the kicker, like Mason doesn't have to get close to anybody. That's true. Ever, he's pretty if safe. If he doesn't want to. <laughs> if Mason gets infected, he's done something terribly wrong. Um, yes. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think we've probably seen the end of Packer opt-outs. Um, maybe there's somebody we're missing that um, knows they're going to get cut and will be surprised. But I, I think we're pretty much at the end of that happening at this point. All right. So next question is fanciful, and um, it, it, it's Steve Garcinski, um, who used to host the Tailgate Podcast, asking um, a hypothetical from Joe Sheehan, who's a baseball writer. Um, and it's a it's a stupid question because it's not going to happen. But yeah, oh, it, it is stupid. Yeah. I want to make it clear. It's a very stupid. It's a question. stupid question, which is um, he, he sees the biggest problem with the sport is line play, where people are breathing in their faces and bent over facing each other. Um, if they first of all he's asking could they get rid of line play and have football be safer um so first of all answer is no um and we kind of glossed over the dangers of actually football itself in terms of covid because a lot of the contaminants so far in baseball have been off the field from what we know anyway baseball is a pretty distant sport but yeah okay line play has guys very close to each other but there's a lot of football that has guys close to each other that's the thing like you 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 just can't eliminate contact it's a contact sport we call it contact sport all the time it ends with people hugging each other like that's the end of every football play so if there is a guy who has it um even if you get rid of line play which has a bunch of guys running into each other every play there's still going to be guys tackling other guys there's still going to be guys blocking other guys um there's still going to be receivers out there with dbs all over them it's it's ridiculous there, there is no way to make football covid safe that's i mean one of the bigger problems with it, it it's uh, it's one of the reasons that the bubble probably would have been a smart thing to do because the actual sport itself is very prone to spread things. Um, and one of the reasons basketball kind of had to do that is because of the same reason. Basketball is a contact sport too. You guys, you got guys in the low post right up next to each other, breathing heavy on each other. And um, if anybody gets it, they're going to spread it very quickly. So, um, yeah. Bad. Anything to add to that? It, it, Joe should no, stick, this, stick to this baseball. Is, this is the yeah, this is the peak idea. Like when people talk about like ways to fix baseball and it's actually people who don't like baseball yep. and won't like baseball anyway, suggesting reasons to or ways to fix baseball. This is someone who doesn't like football, suggesting a way to fix football. That's exactly what it is. Football Joe Sheen would be super pissed off at this question from baseball Joe Sheen. <laughs> uh, absolutely 100%. Um, <laughs> let's skip that one. Um, so, sorry, sorry, James. We're, we're skipping your... Uh, oh, I guess we can do it real quick. Um, so do, do you think that Brian Gutekinst or the Packer organization generally had in the back of their mind during the draft that the season might not happen? Um, uh, no, no, because honestly, in, in March and April, many of us who are even rather pessimistic thought that the situation would be under much better control by the fall. Yeah. Um, but then, and I want to emphasize that like the places where a lot of the, the resulting surges have happened throughout the summer were places that did not get hit in, in the initial first wave yeah, very hard. True. So essentially what we're seeing is just the, the, the states that got hit were just getting their first wave, um, which really, um, if we look across the globe, happened in a lot of places mm -hmm. that experienced a first wave and then, and then, and then a die down around, you know, depending on what level of expected, you know, infection or expected antibodies at some different levels. But, um, that delay ended up pushing things into the late summer and, and, and the fall. And hopefully we're able to avoid a second wave with that. But I don't think that Gutekunst 
um, would have been like, okay, there's a decent chance the football season is being canceled because, because frankly, our expectations were in, in April, you know, late April, early May that, you know, baseball would be starting in the middle of June and basketball would be coming back and like, okay, well, if those are coming back, like, you know, football is going to have no problem starting, you know, training camp at the end of July and then season starting in, in September. I mean, we weren't even really talking about canceling preseason games. Yep. And that was even folks who were, I wouldn't say the most pessimistic because you can find, you know, 10% of people will believe anything. <laughs> and, you know, so, but I would say, you know, the majority of people, you know, expected the situation to be um, at least moderately better than it is now. So I highly doubt that Gutekunst, who probably had a more optimistic outlook on it, you know, it's just your nature, you know, he's he's going to want things to go well. He's going to want a season to happen. That that explains any type of the draft. I think they just identified a quarterback that they really liked for yep. some godforsaken reason and they drafted a running back in the second round which i hated and they drafted a fullback (laughs) tight end in the third round who depending on his role and usage might be fine might be terrible yep i I also just to to drive that point home i think while jordan love is obviously a project and would be no matter what those other two aj Dillon and josiah deguara are probably going to be counted on to play quite a bit as rookies um you don't have to play Dylan right away because you have Aaron Jones there, but he's definitely a different type of back and it's a type of back that Matt LaFleur has some history of liking quite a bit. And I, running backs don't take any time to acclimate. They're often very good as rookies, so he'll probably be in there right away. Yeah, no, they probably they peak basically as rookies they, that and second-year players, typically. Yeah, um, and DeGuara, I think you'll see play quite a bit too. Um, tight ends, true tight ends, do take a while to develop. Um, they're almost never good as rookies with very few exceptions. But at that H-box spot, just as a lead blocker, when they need a lead blocker, it's probably going to be him. Um, so that's those draft picks were for today, not for tomorrow. Um, and uh, <laughs> they might be bad and stupid, but that is what they are. So, um, All right. So um, we'll, we'll knock two quick ones here. Um, my brother asks, the short version, do you think NFL players are any more at risk at developing severe um, symptoms of COVID-19. Um, and this is something I, I speculated about. Don't I don't think there's any good information about this because football, football players are weird. They're, they're phenomenal athletes, but a lot of them are very oddly shaped phenomenal athletes. You have to be very large to play on the line. Um, and, you know, that's not your typical super in shape guy. Um, this it has some cardiovascular aspects to it. Not that those guys are in bad shape. But uh, do you think there's any risk that a certain segment of the football population will get hit by this harder? So a certain segment, the answer there is probably yes. But one thing I I will say, and I think is oftentimes pretty heavily misunderstood by the general population, is that even offensive linemen and defensive linemen, they're like huge dudes. And when we think of them, like, you know, if you look at BMI, which is like a a pretty terrible metric. We we make fun of it a lot in Slack, so. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible metric to measure someone who does like any resistance training, which NFL players are doing an obnoxious amount of resistance training because they have ma- massive muscle mass. Um, I don't think having more muscle is necessarily going to make you more at risk. I think yeah. the, the biggest, and this is, again, not a doctor, but one thing to acknowledge is that folks who are obese, which is a higher risk level that they've they said for COVID, typically have other health issues associated with that. Very true that can also cause that. So we don't know if like, let's just say if obesity itself is an issue, but folks who are obese typically have other health issues, which makes them more susceptible to, to bad complication with COVID. Now with some NFL players, and again, it's actually a really small number of guys that are just like straight up fat. You look at like offensive linemen, like Brian Balaga is a huge dude. He's not really fat. He's just a massive muscular human being. And like, is his body fat percentage like 8%? No, but like his body fat percentage is probably pretty similar to your average dude. He's just also packing like, you know, 220 pounds of muscle underneath that exactly. as well. So um, I wouldn't say the risk is really significant. I, if anything, I would say the risk for them is probably lower than the general population. A, because it's pretty difficult to have major health problems and be in the NFL. Yep. And B, these guys are typically, even the big dudes are in really good shape. 
Um, and even if they are, you know, let's say a little heavy, they tip, they're going to have, you know, very strong hearts. Typically their you know, lung capacity is going to be very strong. These are highly tuned athletes. You know, you, this isn't the 1950s. You can't be a smoker and a kind of a, <laughs> a crappy athlete and show up and play in the NFL. Oh, the man. competition level is too high. Think how, if the, if it was the Vince Lombardi era right now, think how much this would ravage the league. Like, oh God, it would be terrible. It would, <laughs> it, it would destroy so many. Max, Max McGee would be in a rough. Yeah. In rough shape. In rough shape, but I, yeah, I think I think that's those are all good points. The fact that they are large people is a very different reason than why the general population sometimes has large people. Right. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Like everybody who plays football is not everybody, but almost everybody's in phenomenal shape. They yes. work out all the time. The offensive linemen weigh three twenty five because they can deadlift your house. Exactly. Your friend weighs three twenty five because he can't stop eating cake and crushing Miller Lite. <laughs> like there's a difference there yep that there is all right last question from our our co-writer um and scotty johnny football podcast host john barnett how many games do you think they get through oh i to be honest i really don't even know how to conceptually answer this question the number is greater than zero i'll tell you that much the number is definitely greater than zero um and honestly, it's going to depend on a couple of things. One, I think the important thing to note is nationally and within a lot of the states, the COVID cases are, are declining. We're seeing the end of the, of the first wave in a lot of the states that hadn't been hit yet. You know, your Arizona's, Florida's, California's, basically the Sunbelt region, which hadn't been hit at all. Um, those cases are declining. In Wisconsin, which, um, you know, the extent of the first wave is unknown because of testing shortages. Um but over the past two weeks, the positive test rate has declined. Over the past week, cases have started to decline. Um, you know, that decline typically takes, um, if we look at other states, typically takes about a month until you really get it down to a lower level. If that happens, and I know like uh, doctors have talked about how herd immunity for this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60 to 70%. Yep. Um, but what we have seen in, in other places um, is once um, seroprevalence, which basically the antibody levels in a population reach around 20%, you don't see the elimination of the disease. And that's not what I'm trying to get at here. It's not herd immunity. It's just enough people get infected that it becomes just harder for it to spread. So if we see if we see that happen, um, which seems to be kind of the numbers that we're, we're seeing in Arizona and Florida, and probably by the time that we're out of this surge, we'll see something relatively similar in Wisconsin between 15 and, and, and 20%. You know, things could actually go well and things could actually be getting better for the NFL as we go into the winter, simply because there are fewer people to, to get infected. So the, the answer to that question is really, really hard. I think pessimists are being like, oh, it's just it's going to blow up right away. But there's a chance that they're just the spread in the community could potentially be slower. Now, one thing we don't know is we don't know how long immunity lasts. You know, people talk about antibodies disappearing after yeah you know, let's say uh, two months or so. Um, that only is looking at one um, a aspect uh, of immunity. We you know the T cell piece appears to still be there for quite a while, yep. um, which is also another part of the immune response that, um, you know, is going to impact that as well. And those seem to be long lasting. And those are long lasting for, for many, many um, viruses. You know, I know the, the example that I, I know Paul and I have talked about is, um, you know, with, with measles, the antibodies disappear, you know, relative short order, that but the do. T cells stay there for, you know, for decades and you're still immune to measles just with the T cells. So yeah. it's complicated. Um, but I think it's important to, that people know some of these things because there's a lot of kind of misinformation about like, oh, if you don't have antibodies, you, you could, you're susceptible again. And that's not necessarily true. It's very complicated. Yes. Um, you know, but so to actually answer the question, how many games are we going to get? I have no idea whatsoever. I'm actually more bullish on them. Actually, I'd say it's much more likely they get through the whole season than if they're shut down within two weeks. Yeah, uh, I guess I would agree with that. I do think it's more likely they, they kind of push through the whole season. I do worry about the, the second wave possibility that was contemplated early on where it, we, we didn't really get the summer break that was predicted. But I do still think that the the winter pushback indoors, especially in like Wisconsin, where people have kind of freely been going to bars, which is the worst place you can go. Um, yep, I literally could, the worst place. Liter There's not a worse place you can go than the bar. Don't do that. Um, 
does pick up. So I could see there being a spike when the weather gets worse. Um, I I still think the NFL is pig-headed enough that they will just power through any anything that does happen. Um, but I think that, that I'm not quite as bullish as you are. I think there's a chance that they get like four games in and something really bad happens and they've got to either put oh, yeah. it on something pause. Or... Really terrible happens. Like if someone goes, if someone has severe, like if someone gets put on a ventilator or something like that, yeah, like that can just shut the whole thing down. And with, with the population that they have of players, it's in the one thing I, I really hate when, when, statisticians when they get a little too aggressive with the models like there was the model that talked about like oh you know in college football there's going to be all these deaths this year and then an epidemiologist came in and said yeah that's not how we do this at all <laughs> we're trying to forecast like death within a population um but yeah like if someone does have a severe thing like you could see the whole league end up getting stopped um just because of that and that's the thing is like the error bars on this i have absolutely no certainty right in my prediction whatsoever you know yeah. my the margin for error on my prediction is is 20 games <laughs> and I, I think that's appropriate uh the one thing that the other thing that makes me i think less bullish is baseball's had some close calls um not necessarily hospitalizations but they have they've had one player who's out for the season with heart problems that are not going to kill him right now but are serious enough that you know he's not playing baseball um freddie freeman a very high profile baseball player got contracted a fever of 104.5 degrees did avoid hospitalization probably should have gone to the hospital but uh that could that, that's like one degree from freddie freeman being dead or very close to it so mm-hmm. um football has twice as many people as baseball and so your odds of one person having something more severe happen to them go up as well and i i just do worry about that actually occurring um I, I, football will probably power through that even if it does happen but uh it really just depends on the person too um super famous that's really yeah. bad for the sport and might do it severe damage so um yeah something bad happens to patrick mahomes the season will be impacted much more than if something happens to the fifth corner for uh the la chargers who was a gunner on special teams yep. and that's not fair but it is probably true so that is life in the nfl yes <laughs> even without the disease all right. Even without the disease, that's life in the end. It really is. It's quite the sport. Um, anyway, I, I think we can wrap up there. Um, anything that you want to plug that you've written lately or um, anything else? Well, I mean, if you just go back through my archives, I've talked about Aaron Rodgers and big personnel and wide receivers plenty. Um, it's a little tough to find a lot of topics to write about right now. We <laughs> don't really have training camp stories. We won't have preseason games, which really you know digs in you know i typically do more analytic focused writing so preseason is not the most useful for that but sure you can not. still find some you can still find some things in there at least you know that are interesting um but essentially basically what we'll be looking for is just storylines we can find at a camp kind of trying to pull nuggets that we get from interviews and trying to kind of expound upon them and see kind of you know like we talked about with what's the concept behind going bigger with personnel yeah discussing pieces like that uh, the one thing i do want to say um because you talked about the nfl kind of powering through this and there's been a lot of blame put on the leagues and major league baseball and you know deservedly so the protocols were not effective but i don't want to just blame the leagues themselves the players associations are also on board with these and also want to play because they want to also make money the yes. league wants to make money and the players also want to make money yep nobody's and, forcing and, uh, baseball players or football players to actually do this they all agreed to do it so that's exactly. absolutely and, true and you know there's you know you can talk about you know should we be playing sports at all right now and that's you know a fine separate conversation but you know no one's forcing them to play they're obviously major financial incentives for them to play but you know no one is putting a gun to their head and and making them play and so that's one thing is like we can dunk on the leagues all we want but it's also important that we also dunk on the players unions for maybe not implementing the most you know the best protocols or helping promote the best protocols either like they're complicit in this as well and you know i know twitter especially is a place where you know Players associations generally get more benefit of the doubt than leagues do, you know, for for historical reasons, for for good reason, when you look at what a lot of the leagues have done to players over the course of time. But it's important that we not completely lose the plot that like, you know, the players don't have to do this. They reserve the right to opt outs. They still, you know, receive, you know, while it's not their salary, they still do receive payment, even though they're they're not working. And frankly, a lot of folks around the country would be happy to get, yeah, I think it's 150,000 to not go to work right now. And, you know, obviously, you know, this isn't me saying, you know, 
average worker versus football player. Their skill set is much rarer. Their value is much higher. I fully understand how market forces work. I was what I went to school for. And so, but like, let's not just don't totally lose the, lose the plot on that one, folks. You know, it's, it's easy on Twitter to just dunk on major league baseball in the NFL, which you should do. Yep. You should. But don't forget to also dunk on the players associations for fumbling the bag on this as well. Yep. Um, I, I would say, with financials, I'm always happy to dunk on owners, um, but mm-hmm. safety protocols are definitely a two-way street. Um, the players are impacted more so than the owners are, and the owners want everybody to stay healthy so they can keep having games and make money off the games. The players should want it just as much so that they don't get seriously injured, die, lose their earning power. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I think in the baseball podcast we uh, we assign blame pretty correctly to the Marlins and and. We're always happy to dunk on the Cardinals, of course, for being evil idiots. Easy. When so. I saw that, it was just so. <laughs> I, I I don't like them, but I did. I don't wish this on them because it just no, ruins I don't... it for everybody else. It does ruin it for everybody else. It, I, I I joke they're playing the long game. They got Lorenzo Cain to opt out, um, <laughs> which is probably true. Uh, he put he the Cardinals put him and his family at risk. So that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I. What a world. I, what a world indeed. Um, I, I wrote on um, my prescriptions for what the NFL should do to deal with the pandemic today on Acme Packing Company. Um, I had previously written on um, how they are attempting to emulate the 49ers with the recent draft picks and with some of the tendencies they're showing. Um, you can go go and check both those out there. You can find Ryan's work there too. Um, and uh, I, I actually, I believe this podcast will also be up in a separate post there too once it's live. So um Go and check out our work, and uh, thank you for joining me today to discuss the depressing topic. Next time we'll have something a little more fun, I think. Uh, Let's hope so. Yes, indeed. All right, have a good night. You too.